0: Hello, and thank you for checking out the podcast. Coming up, Friday, fun day with Fiona Odlum. Also, Daryl McLeod, his new book, Mama Scotch, a Cree coming of age. We'll talk to him about the book. Bruce Johnson, my weather expert buddy, and Dr. Cyrus Dirksen, all that on the way. Please subscribe to the podcast. Please rate the podcast. Five stars would be nice. And now, the podcast. Friday fun day with Fiona. Fiona Odlam, how are you?
1: I'm great, bud. How are you?
0: Excellent. We were just complaining about the weather and I was saying how we're not going to go to the lake now because, you know, when it's six, seven degrees and cloudy and rainy, why bother?
1: Yeah. Um, I would take that over what we've got. We've got six centimeters of snow coming. What? Uh, (laughs) Yeah. In
0: Saskatoon?
1: Yeah. We're getting three today, three tomorrow. So it's snowing right now. I guess it could be worse
0: than I better shut my mouth.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Totally, yeah. It's not pretty here right now. The Saskatoon, the city that shines, is the city that snows. It's no kidding.
0: Wow. Well, my weather expert buddy Bruce Johnson is going to join us at about two fifteen, so we'll get his thoughts on because there's been a lot of talk. uh, uh, Bruce looks at things in nature as signs Mm -hmm. that the weather may be, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, for example. Uh, we were seeing leaves turning yellow and stuff very early, so he thinks maybe that. me, he doesn't know, but he thinks maybe that's a sign that we'll get an early winter or that winter will yeah. be extra harsh. So we'll we'll see what he has to say. And uh, yeah, that's uh, I'll I'll take uh, cloud and rain over <laughs> snow. Sorry, I'll I'll leave it alone now.
1: Well, I got a question for you. Mm. Um, are you a guy that believes in the Farmer's Almanac, or are you like? And no, that that stuff doesn't work.
0: I don't know if I believe in it or not, but I do like looking at it. That goes back to when I was a kid, right? When I, yeah. when I my my par- grandparents uh, lived on a farm, and I was on the farm quite a bit. And the yeah. farmer's almanac was a big deal, and so yeah, I pay attention to it.
1: Yeah, I'm a believer. Like I know uh, some folks are like, nah, nah, I don't know what they're talking about, but. Yeah. They're pretty close most of the time. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. It, it definitely has some interesting uh, interesting stuff in there for sure. So if it's going to be yeah. crappy, you got snow, we've got, uh, you yeah. know, cloud and, and rain. You were mm-hmm. saying that you've got some good suggestions yeah. for something to watch, uh, to yeah. stream, binge with the weather mm-hmm. not being great.
1: Okay, I've got a couple things um, on my radar right now. Um, so season two of this show called American Vandal came out now this is this is a comedy um but it's a serious comedy and it's really funny did you did you ever get into that podcast serial
0: um no i, I know what you're talking about but no i didn't right. get into it no
1: okay so the, the premise of that is is that uh, a gentleman this is a true story guy goes to jail yeah. um and he's a, he's a high school student and he can't account for 17 minutes of his life and the, he goes to jail and the, the sister's like listen to this journalist can you just look at his case and just take a, a once over, mm-hmm. and it's fascinating. It's a fascinating podcast. So they've made a spoof of it in American Vandal, <laughs> of course. And the season two is if you like poop humor, this is for you, because th- the high school crime is is that one of the students put a bunch of laxatives in the cafeteria <laughs> lemonade, <laughs> and they have what they call a brownout. Oh and no. Yeah, it's a real oh no! But if you want to tap into your like sixteen year old Hal yeah, Anderson, right, right, you're gonna love it. Okay,
0: I have heard of this. Now that you've uh, given <laughs> me the the plot, I remember hearing about this. So American Vandal, that's on. Yeah. Is that on Netflix?
1: Yeah, that's okay. on Netflix. And what else? But then I I broke the bank and I bought Amazon Prime Television. Oh, you
0: can buy that here.
1: Yeah, so I got that and I binged the new jack ryan Hmm. series so that's with jim helper from the office and you're like oh this comedy guy he can't do action he can do action Hmm. yeah i was super into it and um what was the other what are you binging
0: um, I haven't been binging. Well, Ozark, we did the second season yeah. of Ozark. We, we yeah. enjoyed that. I've been busy lately. We haven't, uh, we got to find something new to binge because I don't think we've really, uh, we're not into anything right now on Netflix. Okay. Can I ask you a question about yeah. Amazon Prime though? Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize we could get that here. So what does that mm-hmm. cost you? Because we were uh-huh. talking about cutting the cable the other day and this is uh, sort of a good conversation to have on the back end of that.
1: Yeah, okay. Um, I wouldn't cut cable because I think the fall lineup looks pretty decent. Um. Amazon Prime, how much did that cost me? I think it was $89 for the year. Uh-huh. Um, and in that, that is where you get to see that the show that sweeped the Emmys. Yes. The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Right. Which is fantastic. It is, eh? It is
0: fantastic.
1: Fantastic. You have to get it. But because I know your wife is a fashionista, the other thing that they have for Amazon is they have on Amazon Prime only is Amazon Prime Wardrobe. And you can go on there and you can click and find all these items that you want and you only pay for what you keep. And you can return everything for free.
0: Hmm. That's kind yeah. of interesting, eh?
1: It's kind of a cool little thing. So, and then with yeah.
0: that Amazon Prime for eighty nine bucks for the year, or whatever, you get free shipping or a yeah. deal on shipping, and yes. and all the shows and movies, yeah. and
1: and they also have um, Amazon Prime Radio. So it's like it's you know like well, we won't Spotify. talk about
0: that because I want no. people to listen to this show.
1: No, I know, but it's like, <laughs> it's, like it's like it's like Spotify. But, yeah. so it's like right soundtrack. If
0: you're into music so. and stuff, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. okay, can cool. We,
1: can we? Can we talk about music because yeah. like, um, I'm kind of, um, a little bit skeptical about this whole kiss farewell tour. Yes.
0: Let me, let me read the story. Okay. Let me, okay. let me, let me okay. set the table here for you. So kiss has announced their farewell tour. Um, (laughs) Bringing the curtain down on their five-decade-long career, KISS formed 45 years ago. They made the announcement during an appearance on NBC's America's Got Talent on their own social media accounts. Dates and stops on the the end-of-the-road world tour were not immediately disclosed by the band. KISS has been doing this for decades.
1: They had a farewell tour in 2000. Yes, I know. (laughs)
0: It's ridiculous. I mean, good for them because they sell tickets and people go, oh, I got. I mean, at some point it will be real, but I'm not convinced with this band that this is real.
1: Absolutely not. They they love the cash. This is not the end. Mm. And did you know the history, though, of Kiss kind of starts in Winnipeg? That they had one of their very first concerts at the University of Manitoba in 1974?
0: Hmm. I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, okay, if anybody out there is listening and you were at that concert or kicked yourself that you didn't go to that concert, phone in because, um yeah, so, and there was protesters, How female protesters who were feminists, who were outraged that this band was coming and their lyrics were so degrading to women, and they came and they'd never, like, people had never seen anything like it before, right? Yeah. Like, these dudes with the makeup and everything, so... Part, Winnipeg is part of their legacy, which I think is super cool. Huh. But that's also part of my legacy in my rock and roll world. Because Like back in the day, I used to be a bit of a headbanger, right? And I went to Kiss, and a friend of mine, she got us front row and the whole deal. And she's like mm, Fiona, her name was Jody, Jody, who always wore a kerchief. Like she wore kerchiefs off off to the side of her neck. <laughs> like she was again. I thought that was like super dangerous mm. um, and cool. Uh, she's like Fiona, we need to go to Aussies. Uh, in Osborne Village, yeah. I hear the bands going there. So I go, sure enough, spent the whole night partying with Ace Frehley. Come on. I'm not even joking. Wow.
0: <laughs> I'll tell you a funny story. This is a terrible yeah. story. Back in my I bar do- gig days, yeah, um, we had a, 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 I won't say where, and AC, I think it was a, yeah, ACDC was in town, yeah. and I went on the radio, just kidding, and I said, yeah, yeah the guys are going to be at the bar later, right? Yeah. <laughs> I was kind of joking, but then yep. people believed it, and I sort of kept Whoa. my mouth shut about it, and the place was jammed. It was lined up out the front. <laughs> I went in, I did my games, and I bolted out the back door because I knew at some point I would have all the pay. But, uh, yeah, so I kind of pulled a fast one there. Hey, we only got a couple minutes left. Let me, okay, speaking okay, okay, okay. of music, sticking with the music theme here, Yeah. are you rolling your eyes over the fact that Maroon 5 is apparently the band that will perform at the halftime show at the Super Bowl?
1: yeah I'm super um disappointed in this because like honestly to me they're like the Super Bowl I think's in Atlanta like yes. right Like, yeah, there's it's a, there's, some, there's some great artists from Atlanta yeah get a hometown band and honestly listen love me or hate me but I feel like maroon five is the nickelback of America <laughs> like I'm super not into them anymore like yeah. they're uh, I'm just, I think every single song sounds exactly the same.
0: They do kind you of know? sound the same, yeah. I've had a little too much of Adam Levine and Maroon 5. Um yeah. But some people are saying, come on, it's football, it's a guy sport, you know, and maybe it should be a more of a guy band. But, I mean, they obviously do this because at halftime, I mean, all – there are obviously women football fans, but they want Mm -hmm. to try and appeal to a younger audience, a female audience, you know, at halftime, everybody's watching. So I don't mind Maroon five. I think they're a little overexposed, but I I will agree with you there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think they're just the safe choice and, yeah, whatever. I won't mm-hmm. be. I I don't know. That's not gonna make me tune in when they had Bruno Mars.
0: Ooh, that was a good he was show. So he put on a great show. Arguably yeah. one of the best uh, <laughs> halftime shows at the Super Bowl, I think. Bruno Mars. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Is Super Bowl like on like one of your bucket lists? Like, I want to go to a mm, Super Bowl. I I not
0: really. I I don't mind the NFL. I'm more of a CFL guy. So yeah. I I would say no. That wouldn't really be on my on my. I think it'd be fun to go, but I wouldn't pay the kind of money I would have to pay to go and and be there cuz it's uh you know it's it's crazy money. Hey, we're almost out of time so I'm going to give okay. you uh, any shout outs uh, Fiona. You want to um, say well, hi. Okay, want to well, say hi to mom and dad up in Fraserwood. I
1: do. I want to say hi to my mom and dad and my sister just flew in from uh, England. So nice. welcome back mm-hmm. <laughs> to this terrible weather. But um just really quickly I just want to tell you uh, I'm going to Great Cup this year. So I will do some live hits from you from the cup, okay? Oh,
0: okay. All right. Yeah,
1: cuz you're a CFL guy. So yeah. anyway, I I want you guys to all stay warm this weekend. Thank you. Stay in and
0: mm-hmm. uh, just be good everyone. I love you All so right. much. I Thank miss
2: you Thank you Fiona. Alright there okay.
0: she goes. Fiona <laughs> Bye. Podlam in Saskatoon. Fiona with us every Friday. Friday fun day with Fiona. Joining us in studio, Daryl McLeod. He is an author and his brand new book is just out, Mama sketch. A Cree coming of age. And, uh, Daryl, it is nice to meet you.
3: It's good to meet you too, Hal.
0: Thank you for coming in. I really appreciate it. You're in town for the uh, Writers' Festival, the Winnipeg International Writers' Festival. That's
3: right. Specifically Thin Air. Mm-hmm.
0: And we'll talk awesome. about that in a second. Uh, I got your book yesterday, so I apologize. I have not read it yet. No problem. But I plan on it, and I have read bits and pieces. Uh, wow. What a story. Maybe just, uh, and obviously we want people to get the book, and and they will. Um, Talk just a little bit about your story growing up in Alberta, and and there's so much to get to. You're you're smiling because, how? how how do I tell it all? But just give us a sense, because um, you were throwing a lot of curveballs in life.
3: Yes, I sure was. Well, it is a story of resilience and hope against all odds. In fact, the title of Mama Scotch doesn't have a direct translation into English, but it means something in the range. It has a range of meaning between how strange and it's a miracle. Mm. And uh, when I look at um, the curveballs that, that, as you said, that life threw me, and through my family, actually, um, i it's a story about a boy who grew up in the middle of a huge transition, cultural transition of his people, mm-hmm. my people, the Cree yep. people, Nehiawak, <laughs> Uh, in northern Alberta, uh, specifically from the Treaty eight area, um, and a family that is part of that culture and a huge transition of where th- a group of people within one generation uh, or two generations uh, lost their language, um lost many aspects of their way of life, and was forced into a new world, a new way of being uh, into speaking English or and or French, but mostly english mm-hmm. and um into accepting uh, a a more urban way of life rather than living off of the land and living very close to the land like my my grandfathers and my great-grandfather and even my mother and aunts did.
0: Your mother, though, uh, really, your your background, your heritage, your culture, your mom really worked hard to make you understand the importance of that, though.
3: She did, and um, mom... Loved our culture and loved our language and spoke it whenever she could, but unfortunately, she was taken to residential school, and that's one of the stories in there. Hail mm-hmm. Mary, full of grace, yeah. is a in about her residential school experience, and it's a great story of hope and resistance. Where uh, my mom and uh, some aunts, who her aunts, uh, who were teenagers then, broke away, broke out of the residential school, mm-hmm. and didn't ever have to go back. Uh, but yeah. In that residential school process, mum was brainwashed into believing that our language, Cree or Nêhiyaw, was bad, in fact was evil. And um, so instead of teaching us kids how to speak Cree, um, she taught us how to speak English, and she'd say to us, you're going to speak English, mm. you're going to go to school, you're going to be something someday. Mm. And in her mind, being something someday meant having to accommodate the new culture and, and adjust to the new culture mm-hmm. and new language, new way of life.
0: Your father passed away before you were born, and then you just explained what happened with your mom. And I get the sense in just the bit I've read that probably some of the happiest times for you was at your great-grandfather's trapping cabin.
3: Right. Life for adults then, particularly women I, and for men, was, was a heck of a lot of work. I mean, they, they as I said earlier, they lived off the land. But for the kids, it was idyllic. You know, it was, we were out in nature. Um, it, where we lived, where we lived most of the time was a confluence of two rivers, um, a beautiful setting, a beautiful spot, and it was a, a grouping of just our family. So mm-hmm. everybody around us was related to us, and. Um, So you could go to any house. Wherever you were at lunchtime is where you ate lunch. Wherever you were at dinner time is where you ate dinner. And a lot of the times, uh, wherever you were at bedtime was where you slept. And Mm. everybody knew and everybody was okay. And uh, if somebody was worried, they just send a runner. Where's Daryl? (laughs) Yeah.
0: Um. And and everybody knew you were okay. It's just where where you happened to be at that point.
3: But I remember being surrounded by dozens of cousins my age, younger, older, and um, going on— you know, picking berries together and um, mm. gathering um, wild peppermint together and things like that. We we spent a lot. In fact, I remember probably ninety percent of the time being outdoors. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and we there's great up.
0: pictures in the book too. By the way, I really right. enjoyed looking at the pictures and and uh, and and seeing you with your family and yeah. your your grandfather's uh, your great grandfather's uh, hunting uh, or trapping cabin. And and I'll just touch on this because, man, there are so many elements to this. And
3: this is just
0: the first part. You're working on yes. part two, right?
3: Right. Yeah. The sequel um, is coming up, and it should be released probably in a year. Yeah. It's called Piagal. And, man, uh, you,
0: had, you had a lot to get in the yes. first part here. <clears throat> Pardon me. Including a sibling of yours who transitioned to a different gender. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that had an impact on, on you.
3: It had a tremendous impact. Yeah. Um, Greg was my older brother, and he was a good older brother and, um, you know, was a role model in every way that you would expect a big brother to be a role model. He took me fishing, um, he was a champion for me, uh, he was very protective of Mm -hmm. me, those kinds of things. And um, when he announced that he wanted to have... Well, it happened gradually. I mean, he started um, out as a transvestite Mm -hmm. um, probably when he was 17 or 18, and then a couple of years later, he announced to me, I think probably I was the only one in the family he told, that he intended to have a sex change operation um, before it was actually legal in British Columbia. And, um, yeah, it, it affected me tremendously. I i didn't believe that it was possible. I didn't believe that it would, it would be healthy. I didn't think it would work well for him. And, um, and it really made me wonder about my own... Uh, gender identity and sexuality mm-hmm. and um, put all of that in question mm. and I, I wondered if I if I would end up following the same path
0: mm-hmm well, best of luck with the book. I, really, I, I can't wait to read it. I'm right. I do, it, just the little because as we get these books, mm-hmm. they'll they'll give us sort of a breakdown of you right. know some of the yes and just reading some of that and, and a bit of the book, a couple of pages in the book. Man, it's a, it's an incredible story, and I can't wait to yeah. see it all. I've just touched on a few things. I almost feel like I'm not doing it justice because there's so much in this, right. and I'm I'm glad to hear there's a second uh, a second book coming, and um, all the best with it. Now you're in town for the Winnipeg International Writers' Festival. That's right. You. This is your first book. You had not written a book before. That's correct. Tell us about that process. Did you know it was <laughs> a book when it began, or, or how did that all? How did the book happen?
3: In 2010, I started taking a short course um, on on writing memoir, and the structure was short stories, and I was very comfortable with that. And mm. um, the mentor I worked with um, helped me along that path, and. Um, after about 18 months, I had 26 stories that I had written, Wow. and my mentor had edited them all for me, and we just put them all together and decided we had a manuscript, And but it was 475 pages. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big book. It was a big book. Yeah. So I went to another editor, um, hired her, and we cobbled it down to 300 pages, but once I got those... You know, I had about 10 stories written. I realized that there was a common thread, of course, because Mm -hmm. they were all about my life. Sure. And um, I knew that we had the makings of a book. And the makings of a really good book because Mm -hmm. it touches on so many themes, all of the themes that are current in today's society. Like the transgender issue isn't an issue just for Aboriginal people, Mm -hmm. Indigenous people. It's an issue for everybody. And it's a very current uh, topic. Um, the sixty scoop. One of the stories is about the sixty scoop. The reason we went to hide in my great grandfather's trapping cabin was because at that time, in the late fifties and sixties, the government was taking kids away from single moms, particularly single Indigenous women, yeah, and uh, you know, giving them to white white people to foster or adopt, or in worst case scenarios, they actually sold the kids. Mm. Um, there have been a couple of documented cases of that. Yeah. Um, so you know there. Once I really it turned out that every every story dealt with a specific theme, even though I didn't plan it that way. Mm-hmm. And so once um, my mentors and I saw that, we just went with that, went with the flow. Mm-hmm. and um, it it developed into what it is. Yeah.
0: I don't know if if this is even something you've considered. I don't read books and often think this, right. but with this book as the little bit I've read, there's a movie here. like I mean oh, this wow. is
3: <laughs> don't you think it's an incredible story? I think it's a phenomenal story of um, a boy who started life in very humble situation in the bush of northern Alberta in, in a two-room cabin with no electricity or running water and ended up um, being a teacher in Vancouver and then ended up being the executive director of international relations for the Assembly First Nations. Yeah, well, you and, haven't even talked about that. No, and that's in my second book, yeah. and traveling and making speeches at the United Nations and mm-hmm. um, being a chief negotiator of land claims for the federal government for a while, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. So it was a pretty incredible evolution. And, you know, I, I had a lot of help and a lot of interesting um, encounters along the way that really helped to, to advance me and to get me to where I, mm-hmm. where I got
0: you know, I have authors on, and, and usually, well, in fact, the last one I had on, I got a listener uh, emailed and called and said, uh, you know, I, I I think I've got a book. Well, how do you know? So, as you're at the writers festival, what advice will you give to people that are contemplating writing a book? What's the best first step? Find some, find a mentor, find somebody who can help you do it, or or maybe give us you know a couple minutes of mm-hmm. uh, your thoughts on that.
3: The very first step, Hal, is to just start writing. And if you you have that urge, then I would suggest just start writing. Even if you don't have a plan of where it might end up, Mm. um, start writing. And then, sure, eventually, um, and a a journal if you don't have anything else to do, uh, any specific ideas. Journaling every day is a good idea, 15 minutes to half an hour. Mm. And then write what occurs to you. Uh, write whatever comes to you, and don't worry about form or style or correctness or grammar or any of that stuff. Just, just get put it, it on out. the page. Get, put it on the page, right. Yeah. And um, then, yeah, get get take a course. A lot of the colleges and universities have continuing education courses mm-hmm. that you can take in evenings or weekends. And take a course, get some guidance, uh, find, a, find a mentor. And um, But the most important thing is just keep writing. If you think you've got that in you. Just right.
0: hmm Well, uh, Daryl, it's a pleasure to meet you and again, best yeah. of luck and uh, good luck with the second one. And Thank you. Enjoy your time in Winnipeg. Daryl McLeod, he is the author of the new book, Mama Scotch, A Cree Coming of Age. On the weather, uh, on the phone, my weather expert buddy Bruce Johnson. Hello, Bruce. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good, man. It's been a while. I've missed you.
2: Yeah, I know. It's been while. Well, I've been busy, and yeah, and, uh, uh, well, not combining today. It's a little on the damp side. Yeah. What were you combining? Uh, uh, soybeans. Right. Yeah, we were, and because we hadn't had a freeze yet, the stalks were still kind of green, so you had to be really careful because. The the last thing you want to do is have to, I get a combine plug, and then me, being the skinny guy, I get stuck cleaning it out. And that's nine <laughs> hours and 20,000 calories, and yeah. that, that doesn't work very well for me. Right. Hey, uh,
0: I'll get to the Weather Network's fall forecast in a second, but Mike and our global weather specialist, has a great story at CGOB.com right now where he talks about fall which begins tomorrow tomorrow is the first day of fall and uh, we could see zero over the weekend and the last time we saw zero was May 19th 126 days ago and over the summer we had 26 occasions of at least 30 degrees that is double the normal number and so we're in the top 10 for the hottest summer What's the fall going to be like? Uh, Bruce, you and I talked a while ago about signs that maybe fall might uh, be colder than normal. Winter might come early. Winter might be harsh. What are we looking for?
2: Well, right now it's looking like it's going to be, well, obviously this weekend it's going to feel like Vancouver in January. But it's um, not going to be very warm. And I don't see any mild weather. I'm not even at average for the next at least a week or so. And you know it 's one of those patterns where we're just in a below average uh, setup and um, I saw of course, I saw the trees changing in July and kept yeah. watching them and hunting you know kind of like a like a dog when you you make a noise and its it ears you know and it looks and that 's kind of what I was doing yeah, and so you know I'd, would indicate that we could get some fall-slash-winter-type weather. Unfortunately, we're not getting the snow they're getting (laughs) in some places, but it's not that far away as far as temperatures, so it's quite chilly. And so it could be a colder fall. And the thing about winter, it's going to depend on whether this El Nino develops and, if so, when it develops, okay, for an El Nino, has to be the ocean temperatures have to be half a degree or more above average, half degree Celsius or uh, more above average. Right. Well, last month they were 0.17 degrees above average, so that's neutral. This last month they were only 0.04 degrees above, hmm. so we're not going anywhere yet. But some of the models are showing it warming up rather quickly in late say september october november and i'll be watching for that if that develops then we will get eventually we'll get milder and maybe where el nino is fairly weak at the beginning and we get a really cold november maybe december and then it comes out of it a little bit and we get warmer and drier than average but if the el nino does not develop then it could be a really cold winter
0: here's what the weather network says about the prairies this is their fall forecast the prairies have experienced a rather abrupt transition from midsummer heat to chilly, late October like weather, which will continue into the final week of September. However, the region will settle into a more typical fall pattern for the middle and end of the season. So we're going to see colder, almost October like weather now for a bit. And then it will be more like a normal fall. That's what the weather network is saying, anyhow. And as you mentioned, you're keeping an eye on the El Nino situation because that could mean for a nicer winter, correct?
2: Right. The stronger the El Nino, the warmer and drier our winter would be compared to average. But right now, it's hard to save simply because we don't have one in place yet. When is it going to be in place and how strong is it going to be? There's a 70% chance... Of it developing, that still means there's a 30% chance that it won't develop. Right. And so I'm really going to be watching that over the next couple of months.
0: Would it not normally be in place already, or or is that normal for it not to be, if there's going to be an El Nino, for it not to be there yet?
2: Well, it can. It could it, either El Nino or La Nina could be in place already. It just ha- have come out of two years with La Nina's, and now it's right in neutral territory, and it has been for about four months. Mm. And so. We're just sitting way We're in a kind of in a holding pattern to see which way it goes. And more likely than not, it's going to go into an El Nino. So we've had two La Nina years. And it's, we're just in one of these periods right now at this time of year where we don't know yet. Uh, some years it's already in El Nino or La Nina. Mm-hmm. And we pretty much know what we're going to get. And that makes it a little harder to make a, a prediction for winter in September than it would in some other years when we already had something set up yeah
0: hey bruce great chatting with you pal have a great weekend
2: well thanks you too well and, i guess uh, you're not going to go <laughs> to the cabin but i know well why.
0: you know what we're we're back and forth we're not sure i i really want to go but at the same time if it's going to be five or six and cloudy and rainy i mean oh i don't know yeah, just stay stay inside and stay warm stay inside and stay warm yeah all right well listen finish up that harvest and we'll have you on again soon all right i'll talk to you later bruce johnson my weather expert buddy right there If you want to get to his website, the easiest way is go to my website, halanderson.ca, halanderson.ca. Dr. Cyrus Dirksen is here. He joins us every Friday. Doc, good to see you. How are you? Well, I'm doing well. It's good to be here.
4: Yes. It's a little cloudy, but we're okay. Oh, it's horrible. <laughs> it's, just, it's not a little cloudy. It's uh, <laughs> it's depressing. I was
0: just talking to, uh, had an author in here from Victoria. Mm-hmm. Oh, and he yeah. says, yeah, this is it, man. This is what we have all the time. This is <laughs> yeah. what it's like. It would drive me crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got lots to talk with you about, so let's get to it here. Um, this was an interesting one, and I actually saw this headline somewhere else, and then I forwarded this on to you, and I thought this might make for an interesting conversation. Do we trust people who speak with an accent?
4: Oh, that is an interesting it,
0: one. It almost makes you feel uncomfortable to read that, you know? Uh, but I can see where mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm. it would be an issue for some people. This is something that um, that, is, that is true, yet yeah, you're right, might feel a little politically incorrect yeah. to kind of say, but hey, we're in research, and so mm-hmm. we do research, yep. and um, it seems that it's true that people, uh, when there was a research that was done that I think captures it quite nicely, they had these statements like, uh, you know, a giraffe can go for uh, longer without water than a camel. Okay, so they make up statements like this, and everybody knows in the experiment that all of the statements were written by the experimenter. Yeah. And so it's kind of like a game of dash where you're trying to guess which ones are true or which ones aren't. Right. And, but you know that even though they're being read, they're, I think you're even told in the experiment that even if it's read in an accent, that doesn't mean you should be judging it based on the accent because they were all written by the experimenter. It's just yeah. a, it's just the person who's reading it's it. The, it's the presentation. It's of the it. presentation that's a bit different, but consistently, despite the warnings, despite... Uh, them telling everybody, you know, that's the experimenter who's reading them all, the people consistently guessed more that the the statements were false when it was read by somebody with an accent. And it didn't even seem to matter how heavy the accent was. If it was even a mild accent versus a heavy accent, uh, the people still were uh, feeling like it was less likely to be true if the person had an accent, uh, which was interesting I I think, and also, uh, this wasn't in the uh, article that you sent me, but I remember, I think it was a previous show that we did, where we talked, um, this was a while back, I think, about uh, lying and kind of factors that go along with uh, being able to tell if somebody's lying. And one of them is, it's harder to tell if somebody's lying if they're from another culture. Hmm. So, putting two and two together, I was thinking about this and I was wondering, hmm, Maybe it's not so much about the fact that we don't trust somebody from another culture, but perhaps, and this is my own theory, I'm wondering if people are learning that we can't tell if when we're talking to somebody from another culture, which, Mm. you know, or with an accent, if people are realizing or learning that it's harder to tell if they're telling the truth, just because they have a different set of interpersonal behaviors from their culture, we can't read it as easily. And so maybe that's kind of this feeling of like, ooh, I don't know if you're telling the truth mm-hmm. as much as if you were coming from uh, a culture that, I'm, uh, mm-hmm. that I grew up in and yeah. learned all those subtle cues.
0: Did they say at all? Uh, and I don't remember anything in this. But did they say why they were doing this research? Is there an end? to oh. the, You know, what, why, why are they? Why are they doing that?
4: Uh, you know, I, it's a good question. Why we do a lot of scientific research out there? That's what blows me away about, about <laughs> studies and stuff. You know, and we spend money on things. And they, well,
0: what's there? You have to start that. With sort of a goal in mind, Somebody
4: right? needed a PhD. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's exactly.
0: I sometimes wonder that. I wonder yeah, that. But, but this sort of goes toward, um, you know, what we see, and sometimes there are horrible examples of it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Where um, we, I guess, sort of stick with people of our own culture or mm-hmm. our own color or yeah, yeah. all that kind of stuff, right?
4: Yeah. And um, some of it, like, I mean, again, if we go back to that, like, it's harder to tell if somebody's lying, you Mm -hmm. know, we need, I think people should take that into account. Uh, You know, like, okay, I need to be uh, thinking about um, the fact that, you know, we actually don't really have very good lie detectors as it is as people. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're not very good at it. It's just we're a little worse. Uh, when we're dealing with somebody from another culture. And I think you have to take into account when you go to another culture that you don't always know what's going on. You don't know uh, if somebody's just being polite or Mm -hmm. if somebody's actually trying to tell you the truth. I mean, we lie all the time in North America, but most of the time we realize people are just being polite. Sometimes we don't realize it, but it's still acceptable in our worldview. Uh, But when you go to other cultures, there's so many misunderstandings that happen. And um, so when you go to another culture, you kind of have to have this okay let's reserve judgment uh, otherwise you go. Because there
0: are things about that culture we may not
4: understand that might right. impact the information we're being given or whatever. One that people are usually pretty pretty familiar with is being late and yeah. uh, some cultures like ours were kind of uh, on the higher end of wanting to be on time Germany I think they're a little higher on that than us they really yeah. want to be on time and if you go to a place and um, usually I think warmer cultures like India or something like that it's not nearly as much of a concern. A little and, more laid back. Yeah people yeah. would take a lot of offense to that but it's not offensive there so you You can't really do that, you have to reserve your judgement. And just like we can misunderstand that as being rude, Mm -hmm. and you can hardly get rid of that feeling, oh, they're being rude we have to also kind of be careful with everything else because we don't always understand the cues or the norms that go along with that.
0: One of the other things we're going to talk about, and we'll skip to that, people can handle the truth. That's the headline. (laughs) But before we get to that, let me ask you this. So uh, you're a doctor. You've studied, uh, you know, the field you're in. Mm -hmm. When you have somebody come in and talk Mm -hmm. to you, patient, doctor, (laughs) are you able, do you think better than the average person (laughs) able to tell when somebody maybe is uh, stretching the truth a bit?
4: I think that um, perhaps, although I try to be fairly humble about that because I know I am somebody who, with a personality that has potentially been a little bit more gullible. I, can, I grew up in a very trusting home. I grew up where people were, you know, generally meant what they said, said what they meant, and yeah. followed through. Right. So, you know, and working in the prison and coming out and working in the field and stuff like that, I've become a lot more cynical. And I've noticed that when I'm working with other members of my staff and stuff like that, and we're talking about different situations that might come up in the office, they're like, oh, wow, I wouldn't have seen it from that angle, or I wouldn't have So I wouldn't have thought that somebody would be doing that. And it's like, and so I think I am a little bit more aware. I'm not sure what more aware than anybody else out there, but Mm. it certainly does give you some insight as you deal with people with these kinds of issues uh, or various issues. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So the headline, people can handle the truth. Let's talk about this because there's new research. I think it was the university of Chicago. And it says that people can afford to be more honest than they think. Sometimes we, tell little white lies Mm -hmm. or we don't include that. Well, you know, but really you're better off being more
4: honest, right? That's right. I mean, when, uh, I remember, uh, another research that was done about first dates and they, people usually try to keep to very bland topics when they go on a first date. And they were finding that when you use a a topic, that's perhaps a little bit more controversial. Um, like what are your political views or something like that on a first date, it actually helps people connect quicker Mm. and it actually often goes better. Um, because it's more interesting. And that's what they were finding. When you have a more interest, um, a more honest conversation, it becomes more compelling and more interesting to people than something that's perhaps more superficial, bland, and false. So uh, they asked people to go around and be more honest or be honest, kind of like liar, liar, or something like this. When you go around and just be, you know, blatant with people out there. And they actually found out that it wasn't the disaster they thought. People came back and were fairly hmm. uh, doing fairly well, maybe even better uh, in their lives because of this. In my own personal life, I remember I was talking to my mother and I was talking to her at my office and we were uh, talking there and there I'm a little bit more like, business-like and right. to me business-like means kind of saying it as it is so we were mm. all of a sudden we slipped into kind of a conversation about the weekend or something and I was like <laughs> well we could do this we could do this and I would like to do that and and but it's up to you you know da da da, da. And she's like wow I like it when you're just so clear like this and you know like we don't have those yeah those social you don't worry
0: about feelings yeah. or no, oh I better not say that we didn't do the nicety nicety the, yeah, stuff yeah. you know and trying right.
4: to read each other and stuff like that yeah. and I so it made me think of that moment where I was in a context where I'm usually a bit more a bit yeah. more blunt, you yeah. know, and uh, and she actually appreciated it.
0: You know, it's funny how uh, you know our uh, where we come from. you were back to the last uh, uh, story that we were talking about about trust and stuff. Because I came from a home where if there were issues, mm. they might even blow up, but then nobody ever talked about it. Right? Ever. Yes. Yeah. And I remember after fights with various members of my family, thinking I when I grow up. I am not going to allow this to happen. (laughs) If something happens, there's a fight, there's a blowout, there's hurt feelings, we're going to talk about it. And as a result, I do really focus in on Mm. having that conversation Well, good for you.
4: That's challenging to kind of change something like that.
0: And I don't know, uh, listen, it's not a big deal, but it's something about me that I've noticed. I hated that about my family. I love my mm, family, but yeah, I hated yeah. that, that we never dealt with issues. Right. It yes. just got swept under the rug, right? Oh, yeah. And I now go out of my way to try and go, hey, do we need to talk about this? Because mm-hmm. here's what I'm thinking. So it's interesting where, you know. How you, and you're right. Sometimes you do make changes for the better Mm -hmm. as you grow. And then other times you take
4: those things with you and it doesn't get better. Oftentimes, when you're wanting to have an honest conversation and you can actually have that and you can actually get those feelings out, then when you, um, they make the relationships more compelling. You're less likely to grow apart because if you understand somebody and what they're really like, And then you say that you love them or something like that. It actually means something. Mm. But if you kind of feel like nobody here understands me, nobody actually knows me because I'm being kind of fake or hiding or things like that. And then they say that they love you. It's kind of like, well, you wouldn't, you don't normally think this actual thought, but underneath it's kind of like, well, you wouldn't say that if you knew me Mm. or maybe you wouldn't. It's yeah. kind of like when you, in dating, when somebody comes onto a woman or, or a man too strongly and it's like, they say, I love you. And it's like, oh, you don't even know me. Yeah, uh, It doesn't hit me very hard because I don't feel like you understand me. Mm-hmm. So that's where honesty can actually really help relationships. Mm-hmm. And if you actually talk about it and, and do those kinds of things, and then the relationships continue to be fascinating because when people say, I love you, or they do meaningful actions of love, they actually hit you and be like, wow, they know me and they still care for me. Mm-hmm. This research says better to
0: tell the truth. It won't be as
4: bad as you think it
0: will be by not telling the truth. Do you buy that doc? Or do you think there are moments where maybe a white lie is not a bad
4: thing? Well, I, White lies are great, particularly when you call them being polite. There's basically the same thing. So a lot of people out there, if I said, oh, yes, it's good to tell white lies, would say, no, no, you know, uh, you, you should be kind of honest. But if I was to say you should be polite, a lot of people would then say, oh, yeah, of course, you should be polite. So mm-hmm. it depends on what you call them. Yeah. Uh, like you don't walk th- into somebody's
0: house and go, it's a
4: pigsty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, And when you're wanting to tell the truth uh, or to say something hard that is the truth, I would recommend that you say something kind first. Uh, because research shows that if you say something kind about the person, uh, uh, you know, a, a positive comment, yeah. they're more likely to actually accept and integrate the negative comment. Um, but sometimes being honest isn't even about being negative. It's just about being vulnerable. And particularly in those cases, it often is a good thing. Yeah. Although, uh, there, okay, maybe there's an exception. In abusive relationships... If people people are kind of like oh I'm coming to therapy I'm gonna be so vulnerable well I usually like to create safety as much as I can in the relationship first because if you're vulnerable and then hurt you're more likely to get really emotionally hurt. Mm. Sometimes those defenses actually help you to stay kind of emotionally safe in the relationship. If you share something deeply and then somebody insults you, it's harder to manage than if they don't really know that that about you yet. Uh, So I try to create safety first sometimes. So you don't want to just go around telling anybody who may even be emotionally dangerous, deep kind of vulnerable things about yourself because yeah, you'll get hurt even more.